This episode was recorded in 2020. Although some developments have taken place since then, we believe the insights and experiences discussed in this episode are still relevant today. Any opinions expressed are solely the interviewees and do not represent the opinions of the United Nations Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs. Women need to be at the peace tables. Women need to be involved in the decision-making and as peacekeepers to ensure real and faithful implementation of 1325. Welcome back to the interview series Behind the Numbers on Women in Peacemaking. This podcast is brought to you by the United Nations Department of Political and Peacebuilding Affairs. My name is Martin Welisch and I'm joined here by my colleague Minji Song. And in this episode, we will talk to Ambassador Anwarul Chaudhry. During his career in diplomacy, he served in various capacities for his country in the United Nations, including as permanent representative of Bangladesh to the United Nations. And he has also been the United Nations Undersecretary General and High Representative for the least developed countries, landlocked developing countries and small island developing states. In March 2000, he was president of the Security Council and his initiative led to the adoption of UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on the role of women in peace and security. In our interview, we will hopefully get some behind-the-scenes information on how the adoption of Resolution 1325 went and also get some advice on what men can do to help advance the women, peace and security agenda. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. This is Ambassador Anwarul K. Chowdhury for DPPA Behind the Numbers. Thank you so much for your time, Ambassador. Now, as president in the Security Council in 2000, you were key for the adoption of Security Council Resolution 1325. And we wanted to start with by having a closer look at this moment in history. What was the historical context in the year 2000? And can you tell us a bit more about how the Women, Peace and Security agenda became a pillar for you and your presidency? Resolution 1325 is very close to my intellectual existence and my very small contribution to a better world for each one of us. On the International Women's Day in the year 2000, in my capacity as the president of the Security Council, following extensive difficult negotiations, I was able to issue an agreed statement that formally brought to global attention the contribution women have always been making towards the prevention of wars and building peace. In 1995, as you recall, uh, there was this Beijing UN Women's Conference. After Beijing platform was adopted, I, and along with some colleagues, but mainly uh, those from civil society, we were planning and lobbying with the Security Council members to adopt the essential message from uh, the Beijing conference. But we were shown, firstly, 
indifference secondly disinterest thirdly discouragement that they they felt that it is not the security council's issue it was the it is a what they called soft issue and belongs to the general assembly and i felt that uh, we have to work harder and then bangladesh got elected to the security council for the term 2000 2001 in january 2000 we took our seat and in march i got the responsibility as the president of the security council on behalf of my country bangladesh and then i told myself that this is the time my moment has come i have been lobbying for it now i am able to do something but uh, we found that the security council till that year had been making references into its resolutions in their speeches always women seen as a victim of war and conflict and i believe that that was really not doing justice to what women as equal part of humanity had been doing it was very difficult for me to get a resolution and finally i said that if it is not possible for a resolution we should have a statement a statement which emphasizes the recognition of the role and contribution of women so that statement was issued by the security council on behalf of all 15 members and that statement said in a very emphatic way that peace is inextricably linked with equality between women and men and affirmed the value of full and equal participation of women in all decision making levels so that was the conceptual and political breakthrough which planted the seed of the resolution 1325 and it was we had to work hard for 8 months when we could agree on a resolution which was adopted on the final day of the namibian presidency of the security council 31st of october 2000 but i would say that resolution 1325 finally opened a much awaited door of opportunity for women who have shown time and again that they bring a qualitative improvement in structuring peace and in post conflict architecture when women participate in peace negotiations and in the crafting of a peace agreement they have the broader and longer term interest of the society in mind that argument i had to hammer again and again and again for the council members to come together ambassador where does 1325 and the wps agenda stand now after its adoption in 2000 the state of implementation of 1325 is not so encouraging we had put in a lot of 
expectation on that. Maybe we were hoping that things will move fast. Because we should remember one thing, that Security Council resolutions, decisions of the Security Councils are mandatory. Member states agree to accept and abide by and comply with the resolutions and decisions of the Security Council. So that is why we thought that this will really, this will have a stronger impact on the member states as a whole. And so that, that was the, the expectation. So this whole package of resolutions, I call these other nine resolutions so far as the children of 1325. 1325 is the mother resolution. I think 1325 in that way was a landmark in the history of the Security Council. 1325 plus nine other resolutions have given us a wonderful mandate, given us a wonderful opportunity to do much more. The driving force behind 1325 was participation. We call about three Ps, protection, prevention, and participation. And that participatory dimension has yet to find a real place, a substantive place. The Security Council has been neglecting this core focus of the resolution. There is no full and equal participation of women at any levels. Many cases I find that women are not given a proper place in the peace table. They stay outside and they are not allowed to take part. So these, these are the things and the challenges we see that I believe that the moment we will allow in a, in a substantive way a participation of women in the peace table, in the peace negotiations and peace building, uh, things will improve in a big way. That is why women need to be at the peace tables. Women need to be involved in the decision-making and as peacekeepers to ensure real and faithful implementation of 1325. And in your personal view, what have been success stories of addressing WPS in peacemaking initiatives? Speak in general terms, women had been quietly working in our societies, in co- particularly in the conflict countries. And we men have not recognized that. Their role has been unrecognized, undervalued, and they have been underutilized in promoting peace and security. So that has been the reality. But we have seen, I have seen particularly myself in West Africa in a big way, when men were fighting in the bushes, the women were keeping the social fabric intact. They have been sending their children to school, putting food on the table. They are caring for their elderly. They are having health services available to whoever needed them. And they were managing things in a much more peaceful way. The women have done well. They have somehow 
carried this, their societies, communities moving forward. And that is what we have seen in Sierra Leone, Liberia, Guinea, and other places. So I have seen firsthand, and uh, same way we have seen in the liberation movement, liberation war of Bangladesh in 1971. And that is what, if I may say, that created my enthusiasm. And I have seen firsthand and how women have been working with, together with men in getting the independence of our country. So that is what also had been in the back of my mind as I assumed my position at the United Nations. So I believe that those are the realities which we faced. So success has been always there unrecognized. But if I, if I may say, it was absolutely heartwarming for me to, to find that in 2011, Nobel Peace Prize was given to three women, two from Liberia and one from Yemen. This is the first time that a resolution of the United Nations has been so specifically mentioned in a Nobel Committee's citation. And it says, referring to 1325, and I quote, it underlined the need for women to become participants on an equal footing with men in peace processes and in peace work in general. And it went on to say, and again I quote, we cannot achieve democracy and lasting peace in the world unless women obtain the same opportunities as men to influence developments at all levels of society. So these are the success stories, and I can go on repeating, because when women do it, it does not get, unfortunately, a louder praise. They are sort of set aside as a side story. But we need to bring those out. We need to highlight those. That is very necessary. Now, onwards to a more personal question. What inspired you when it came to advocating for women's rights? Why has this been such a personal calling for you? Tell us more about it. Well, I would say that um, I have been working on women's equality agenda for a long time. I came to New York in 1972 to promote Bangladesh's membership of the United Nations soon after our liberation, independence. And then I had thought of this, that it is necessary for me to pick up some issues which will have meaning for my country's role, where I can share that this is what is my experience, my country's experience. I cannot talk about big politics, nuclear disarmament, all these things, uh, because it will sound very hollow. So I thought of that. And then, of course, the opportunity to give this peace and security issues a profile came through Beijing. And then, of course, in 1999, the culture of peace, whereby the peace becomes part of our daily existence. Uh, peace become peace and nonviolence becomes uh, everything. So in this document, in that document, uh, I was the chair of the negotiations for nine months to give birth to 
the UN Declaration and Program of Action on the Culture of Peace on 13th of September 1999. So this is, this is, we thought the culture of peace, a peace which makes everyone, every community, every nation peaceful will be possible only if we accept and recognize and give an opportunity for women to be equal partners. So that is, that is my personal story. And I believe that these two channels come together on the basis of women's equality and the Culture of Peace Program of Action and the Security Council Resolution 1325. They, for me, these are the essence of my multilateral participation, my humble uh, way of interacting with humanity, my country's focus on these issues. So all these things converge in a way that I feel energized. I am doing this because I am a believer in those issues, which I promoted when I had an official position, but now I promote it as a part of civil society, as a global citizen. Now, we wanted to ask you about the issue of gender bias. Can you talk about this a bit? What have you noticed yourself and what have you done to address the issue of gender bias? It is so pervasive. It is so all over. I will quote my good friend, UN Secretary General Guterres, and I quote him. The truth is that North and South, East and West, And I'm not speaking about any society, culture, or country in particular. Everywhere, we still have a male-dominated culture, end of quote. And this is what I also feel all the time. I don't have to identify one, two, three cases of gender bias or sexual harassment or marginalization of women. It is always there. I can say very openly and frankly, that this is a reality. You know, I give uh, Secretary General Guterres full credit for making an equal, if not more, women in the senior management group. I think he has to be commended. But that is not the end of the United Nations struggle for equality. We have in the year 2000, in the Millennium Declaration, we mentioned about 50-50 parity in the UN appointments. It's still not there, still far away. Gender inequality is an established, proven, and undisputed reality. And as I said, it is all pervasive. It is a real threat to human progress. Now, here's a last question from me before I turn back to Minji. And this is about the role of men. What do you think men can do, and especially male ambassadors, to help push forward the women, peace, and security agenda? So I believe that it is very necessary for us men to become involved and promoter. And I think it is not a question of men giving this equality or men sharing opportunities with them. It is women's fundamental right. We, are, we cannot deny them. We cannot take them away. We have done that because we have been dominating the power structure 
since the beginning of history. And we have done that, and now we are afraid to give it up. And we manipulate, continue to manipulate. It is very essential that men should understand that it is because of them that the current existing inequality, inequal status of women is happening. We have to change our mindset. We have to tell ourselves that this is very important for us. If we want to live peacefully in a democratic society, women's equality is very important. Even at the local level, I have seen women's inclusion in the leadership has brought in qualitative improvement. The corruption has gone down. People are comfortable working together. They have plans which will look into the future generations, not for political power base of one or the other. So these are the things I have seen. It is essential that both male and female views are equally hard and recognized in a society as a whole. And of course, in social, economic, and political planning and decision-making. Only then can women and men equally and democratically influence progress in society. We have seen time and again that women bring a new breadth, quality, and balance of vision to our common effort to move away from the cult of war towards the culture of peace. Women's equality makes our planet safe and secure. If we are serious about peace, we should take women seriously. We are seeing now women's rights, women's equality are under threat everywhere this is happening. So wherever progress has been made, this is being taken away. And that is what I believe that should be resisted at all costs. When it comes to any data you could look at in the context of WPS, what would it be? What kind of data, information, numbers would you look at? I believe this data is important, but let me preface by saying that it does not need data. It does not need statistics to show that women's equality is all pervasive. But you may take it as, as a comment from an advocate, ardent advocate of women's equality. But I say that if you need data, the participation of women, and where participation has an impact on the society in a positive way, that should be the subject of data. Desegregate by saying what percentage and how many women are in the police force, how many women are in the judiciary, how many women are in the parliament, how many women are in the professional category. That is very important because unless we have equality of participation at all decision-making levels, we cannot make progress. That's why we say also the political leadership is very key to this process of 1325. Participation at all decision-making level 
is one single data who will change the future of 1325. And this is the last question, Ambassador. What does meaningful participation of women in these processes mean to you? Meaningful participation to me, it is an equality of women in a participatory way at all decision-making levels. It is participation in a full and effective way where they will be empowered to share their thoughts and will be welcome to do that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Numbers with Ambassador Anwarul Chaudhry. We hope you're enjoying this podcast series. Join us for more episodes. Until next time.